0: It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here today and I pray that when you woke up this morning you said, "Wow, God, what are you going to say to me today? How are you going to speak to me today?" And I pray that you said to God, "I'm going to hear what you got to say. I'm going to be receptive to what you have to say. So Lord, just make me get there safely and let me meet with my brothers and sisters." You may remember about 2 weeks ago, we asked the question What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that today was going to be your last day on earth? What would you do? Who would you call? What would you say? Would you spend your last day like Elijah, seeking to be a blessing to other people? Or perhaps would you spend it like Elisha, being committed to God's call to serve Him with your whole life no matter what? Can I tell you that for believers, God demands both. Then last week, we discovered that Joshua, in effect, said to each one of us, Are you serious? And if he said you're serious, are you serving God seriously? Friends, we've got to put God in his rightful place in our lives. We have to make a lifetime commitment to serve God. And we also have to get rid of anything that keeps us from serving God. Now this week, moving forward, Am I got an echo here? Thank you. You want to knock that out for me? This week I read that those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. Those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. Friend, the history of the people of Israel was given to you and I so that we would learn lessons and avoid repeating the same mistakes they made. But what lessons, what changes, what warnings should we heed? I mean, think about this. If, If God's chosen people, the Jews, couldn't get it right, then how can we? It must be really complicated, huh? But actually, it's amazingly simple. It's so simple, you'll wonder how anybody could get it wrong. It's so simple, you'll ask yourself, why do I often forget this? You see, just like the Israelites, generation after generation of God's people have experienced a cycle of faithfulness for a time where they enjoyed the blessings, where they enjoyed a close fellowship with God. And then unfortunately, that was followed by disobedience, where they grew cold where they grew lazy. And then that was followed by God's judgment, where they endured God's discipline, but were eventually drawn back into a relationship and fellowship with him. Israel had been called to be a light to the world. But so often they rejected their God-given call. And through continued disobedience brought God's judgment upon themselves. Can I tell you that today you have been granted the task of reflecting God's truth and reflecting God's light. But like Israel, so many Christians within the body of Christ fail to live in obedience. And just like Israel, they get to suffer the effects of their failure. And can I tell you, they are in desperate need of revival. I wonder, is Bethel Baptist Church in need, in desperate need of revival? I'm not talking about a a week of services when a visiting minister comes and preaches the word. You get that all the time. I'm not talking about some emotional feeling that comes and goes like the wind. I am talking about something that can happen at a moment's notice where God comes in, he recovers that which has been lost, he repairs that which has been broken, and he restores that that has been taken. I'm speaking about a life-changing encounter with God that causes me to refocus my vision and regain my spiritual enthusiasm. I'm talking about God causing me to see myself as he sees me, fearfully and wonderfully made, chosen to bear his image and chosen to accomplish his will. I want the kind of revival that awakens the sleeping call of God on my life. An encounter that jars my memory. that, that takes me back to that moment when God saved me through the precious blood of Jesus, where He filled me with His Holy Spirit, where He granted me His stamp of approval, and where He anointed me with power to do His work, His way, for His glory. I'm talking about the kind of revival that causes me to get my priorities straight. Are we in need of that kind of revival? Are we in need of that kind of revival that reminds us, as 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, that Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised again? I believe I need a revival, a revival that reminds me that I am not my own, That I belong to him and I must be about my father's business. But how? How do I receive that kind of revival? If like me, you need that kind of revival, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ezra of all places. The book of Ezra chapter 9. Now if you'll go to the book of Psalms and hang a left, you'll be close. In the book of Ezra, chapter 9, I just want to share the first nine verses. For in verse 1, Ezra writes When these things were done, the leaders came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have got, get this, not separated themselves. They've not separated themselves from the world. They've not separated themselves from the people of the lands with respect to the abominations of all these people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost... In this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair from my head and my beard, and I sat down astonished that everyone who trembled at the word of God then assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, having torn my garment and my robe, and I fell on my knees, I spread my hands out open to the Lord my God, and I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face up to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has rose up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty And for iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in this holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and get this, give us a measure of revival in the midst of our bondage. For we were, say were, we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, get this, to revive us, To repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I can speak for myself and I believe that I can speak for every brother and sister in this place. We need revival. We need revival that begins with that person we see in the mirror. That person in the mirror has got to get right. And Father, you've extended mercy to us and have the desire to revive us. Help us to remember that you can't revive something that's never been alive. Do your work your way in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can we learn great lessons from the experiences of Israel? You better believe we can and you better believe that we better. Because if we don't, we're going to get to learn those lessons the hard way just like israel did and believe me friend i've read the bible and we don't want no part of that so let us learn these lessons while we can and how do we do that the first thing is let us remember the repercussion of sin let us remember the repercussion of sin what is a repercussion though a repercussion is a consequence A repercussion is a result of something we either do or don't do. It's a consequence. And like Israel's sins, our sins have consequences. Our sins produce results. And when we as Christians live in sin, then the first thing that will happen is the presence of God will depart. The prophet Isaiah spoke to God's people in Isaiah 59 2 and he wrote but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear you. You know a lighthouse is not useful if the glass around the light is dirty. The dirt on that glass dims the light and then the ships that so desperately need guidance inevitably crash against the rocks. God desires the life of every single one of us here today to be a lighthouse, to give God's light to a lost world. But friend, if we're living in sin, then we're leading them to a horrible crash we're living in sin the presence of God will depart from us but also if we're living in sin then the house of God will be destroyed it's interesting to me that the Jewish temple was known as Beth Elohim that is the house of the God Almighty the one and only true God Uh, ironically for short it was called Bethel Beth Elohim the house of the one true God. And it was the place where God's people met to come together to encourage one another and to worship God Almighty. But sin brought judgment against Israel, and it also brought destruction to the house of God. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, totally destroyed the entire city, And burnt the temple to a crisp. When the temple was burnt down, there was so much gold in the temple that a river of gold went down its steps. Burn it down to nothing. The temple was destroyed. You see, sin is not just personal. Sin affects the whole body. It not only affects the individual Christian, it destroys the church. Sin can not only destroy a Christian's testimony, but it can also sap the church of its influence in the community. The house of God can be destroyed when its people live in sin. But also, the people of God will be dispersed. Listen to verse 7 again. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we've been very guilty. For our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder and humiliation as it is this day. You see, at one point, everything that mattered to the Jewish people was either destroyed or taken away by its captors. Everything was taken. The people became enslaved to the nations of the world around them. Can I tell you that sadly, many Christians are ensnared in sin. And as a result of that ensnarement, they are unproductive, they don't bear fruit, neither do they glorify God. For these Christians, the only hope of breaking out of that bondage of complacency is revival. They've got to get revived. They've got to get back on track. So one of the great lessons that we learn from the experiences of Israel is the repercussions of sin. But let's also see some good news. Let's see the road to revival. Friend, the first step to revival is recognizing bondage. You may say, Brother Bill, I'm not in bondage. I'm going to show you that perhaps you might be. In Isaiah 57, Isaiah taught God's people to rebuild the way, to remove every obstacle for the Lord God Almighty says, I will revive the spirit of the humble and I will revive the hearts of those who repent. What does that mean? Well, friend, it don't take us long to look around in our world and see all kinds of people who are in bondage. There are people who are in bondage to all manner of addictions. Addictions to drugs, addictions to alcohol, addictions to spending, addictions to sexual perversions, and on and on and on. But there are other bondages. Other bondages that are a little bit less recognizable. Are you living in bondage? Do you know that many of God's people are? Many of God's people do live in bondage. So let's ask ourselves these questions. Do I have joy? Do I have peace? Do I have hope? Do I have assurance of heaven? Do I have a sense of self-worth? If you do not have peace, then can I tell you you are in bondage to worry. If you do not have joy, then you are in bondage to unhappiness. If you do not have faith, then you are in bondage to to doubt. If you do not have hope, then you are in bondage to despair. If you do not have assurance, then you must be in bondage to dread If you do not have a sense of worth, then you are under the bondage of shame. But can I tell you that God gives joy. God gives peace. God gives hope. He gives faith. He gives assurance. He gives a sense of self-worth. So friend, if any of those things are missing in your life, then you're living under bondage. And if you're living under bondage, then you're not free to live the way that God created you to live. Friends, let us repent. Let us identify it. Let us remove the obstacles that hinder us from being all that God wants us to be. We've got to recognize who God is, recognize what He thinks. Believe and hope and be assured that what he sees in us is the truth, not what other people see or think. Andrew Murray said this. He said, a true revival means nothing less than an absolute revolution. A revolution where we cast out the spirit of worldliness and make God's love triumph in our hearts. That's what revival is, a revolution. So, friends, are you in the place where you're ready for revival? If you are, then prepare yourself for the results of revival. When we're willing to repent, when we're willing to identify and remove those obstacles that hinder us from being all that God wants us to be, then the Bible teaches that there will be a release from bondage. In verse 8 there in Ezra chapter 9, the Bible says, For now a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God, for we were, say were, we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us while we were in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us. If the first step to revival is recognizing bondage, then that means that the second step to revival ought to be to do something about that bondage. You see, once bondage is recognized, then we got to do something. And the Bible calls us to cry out to someone who can do something about it. Cry out. There has never been a, a freedom where there's not been a cry to be free. There's never been a release from bondage unless there's first been a cry to be released from that bondage. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 2 where the Bible said, Now it happened in the process of time when the king of Egypt died that the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out. They cried out and that cry came up to God because of their bondage. See, every single time when God's people would fall into bondage, they'd cry out to be delivered from that bondage. Now, I'm not talking about a cry that, that just uh, ends up in a, the, the prayer closet. I'm talking about crying out to God to where he get the, you get the attention of the Almighty and you shake the very throne of heaven. I'm talking about crying out and keep on crying out until God delivers you from that bondage. It's the kind of cry that blind Bartimaeus let out causing Jesus to stop, look, and listen. It was the kind of cry that the disciples let out that caused Jesus to come walking out on that stormy sea. It's the kind of cry that Mary and Martha let out causing Jesus to weep and then to go to the tomb of their brother Lazarus. It's the kind of cry that the ten lepers let out, causing Jesus to reach out and to heal them. It's the kind of cry that the thief on the cross let out, causing Jesus to speak words of salvation to him. Friend, when you recognize your dilemma, when you recognize your bondage, don't you spend one more second there than you have to. Do something about it. God will revive your joy. He'll revive your peace. He'll revive your faith. He'll revive your dream. He'll revive your assurance, your worship. He'll revive your praise. He'll revive your spirit, your vision, your courage. Friend, He will revive your love. But when... Bill, I've been crying out till I'm tired of crying. When's he going to do it? When's he going to hear me and deliver me from my bondage? He'll do it when you truly recognize that you've lost what you once had. When you lost what you once had and you cry out to God believing that he can and he will revive what's been lost, revive what's been taken, revive what's been broken. Now that's a release from bondage. But not only will we be released from bondage on the road to revival, but we can also receive and experience a restoration Of what was. There in verse 9 he extended mercy to us. To do what? To revive us. To revive us. You know what revival basically is? Revival basically is the renewal of life. In something that once possessed life. Sometimes we go through our Christian road. We become less fervent become a little bit lazy, become a little bit cold, and we need someone to recharge us and give us life again, to revive our life. Did you know that it is impossible to revive something that's never been alive? You can't be revived if you've never been alive. You've got to be in a relationship with God in the first place before you can experience revival. I read about a Christian man who fell into sin and was convicted of a crime, landed him in prison for seven years. He thought all oh, hope was lost. Didn't really have a reason to go on living. But while he was there, there was a godly guard who spoke to him and let him know about God's power to restore, to restore no matter what the crime might be. And rejoicing, he wrote on the inside cover of his Bible, he wrote, the soul that comes to Jesus through failure, through shame, or through pain, by his wondrous love and mercy, get this, may soar high again. He'll restore. He'll revive. But not only does revival bring a release from bondage, not only does it restore the life that was stolen, it will also rebuild the house of God. Verse 9 again. He extended mercy to us to revive us and to repair the house of our God to rebuild its ruins. You see, revival restores the church as well. And it creates in all of us as a family to to be a channel of blessings to other people. It gives us a, a renewed focus on the Great Commission to go out and make disciples. It challenges us to be unified. All of us together, all of us, say all of us, all of us together being unified to change our community, to change this nation. You've heard it said, as the church goes, so goes the nation. I believe that. Friend, we can't keep doing things the same way and expect different results. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. And revival is nothing less than a brand new beginning. A brand new beginning of obedience to God. And God invites you to do that today. He invites you to a brand new beginning of obedience to Him. James A. Stewart said, Revival happens when the people of God begin. Say begin. You can begin today. Revival happens when the people of God begin living in the power of an ungrieved unquenched spirit. See, so many Christians, they show up at church on Sunday morning. But they do it out of obligation. They do it out of duty. They don't do it because they want to worship the Lord their God and they don't do it because they know that when they walk out of here, they're going to walk out of here in obedience to God. And so they grieve the spirit. They quench the spirit within them because they have no intention of being obedient to God. So I guess what I'm telling you is is that what you do next after the service is over really reflects what you believe in God. Will you be released from bondage? Will you seek that life that was lost to be restored? Will you submit to the Spirit's desire to recover what's been lost, to repair what's been broken, and to restore what's been taken? Will you surrender to a life-changing encounter with God that causes you to refocus your vision and regain your spiritual enthusiasm? What does it take? What do I got to do, Bill? Hear me. Surrender. Surrender. Say it with me. Surrender. Will you remove the obstacles? Will you cry out to God to be released from the bondage you're in and thereby experience a restoration of life? It'll happen through your surrender. But remember, it's impossible to revive something That's never been alive. So friend, if you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith to accept the grace that God's given. You can't expect revival to happen in your life. You first have to have a relationship with God in order for that revival to occur. So the decision time today is twofold. It's one for that person who realizes, I can't be revived because I don't have a relationship with God to begin with. If that's you today, during this song, you can come forth, you can allow me to share what the Bible says about how you can be born again into the family of God. But the second part of this decision time is this. If you're a Christian, you know you have a relationship with God. It's just not what it needs to be. Not what it once was. Then you have an opportunity today to start a new beginning. A new beginning of obedience to God and experience that restoration in your life. Experience that revival that begins in your life. If every single one of us did it on the individual level, then we would experience it on a church-wide level as well. If all of us refuse on the individual level, then we can't expect it on the church level. So what will it be? What will it be? Only you can answer that question for you. Don't be worried about somebody else. You be worried about you. Are you ready for revival? Let us pray. Father in heaven, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that it's not me who's been talking about revival lately. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, I know that it's you that desires your people to be revived. That you have this uncanny desire to restore that which is lost, to repair that which has been broken, and to rega- for us to regain that which has been taken. Lord, I pray again, by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and the blood he shed on Calvary's cross, Lord, that you would help us to refocus our attention to you and to regain that spiritual enthusiasm we once had. We surrender. Say it, church. We surrender. Father, if that's a true statement in the lives of those who just said it, Father, I pray that you would bring revival first and foremost into their lives as individuals so that revival can come on this church. So that revival can come on this community. So that revival can come on this nation. Lord, we know that it begins with us. It begins with me. It begins with the person I see in the mirror. I surrender. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say.